Hammer Japan, I'm Frank Ling. And from Chicago, Illinois, I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Steve Pine will join us to discuss Voyager. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show to explore brave new worlds. It's part of the opening monologue from Star Trek, but also perfectly captures the exploratory missions of Voyagers 1 and 2, launched nearly 30 years ago. How do the Voyager missions fit within a broader historical context of discovery, and what lessons can we draw from them? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Professor Steve Pine. Professor Pine is a professor in the School of Life Sciences at Arizona State University. Author of numerous popular and academic works on environmental history, his latest release, Voyager, Seeking Newer Worlds in the Third Great Age of Discovery, explores this topic for a general audience. Uh, Professor Pine, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok's Science Show. Well, thanks for the invitation. Well, it, it's certainly our pleasure, and I think this is really a very fascinating book uh, you've written on Voyager. It's a very interesting book in the sense that you cover it in a way in, in which you place Voyager as part of a broader historical context of discovery. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. Sure. Well, the Voyager story is, is a terrific narrative. It, it has a kind of magic, and there are, there are at least a dozen books out there on Voyager and its encounters. What I try to bring to the subject is the sense of Voyager as a part of a 600-year history of geographic exploration and discovery by the West. And part of what struck me on this was, even though we think of Voyager going beyond, always looking out, and still looking out, almost all of the great images are looking back. They're looking back at the Earth and Moon, looking back on Io, looking back on the solar system. And in a sense, what I try to do is to have that narrative look back on the history of exploration. And as an organizing device, I, I have this idea of uh, three great ages of discovery. That grows out of an idea that was originally floated, gosh, about 35 years ago by William Getzman, who thought there was a second great age of discovery in the 18th century. And it really, he thought of it as bonding with science, or more broadly with the Enlightenment. And exploration had sort of died out. I mean, the, the coals were banked. It was an object of satire and ridicule. And then it starts up again. And he thought this was a second great age of discovery. And I began thinking, being a student, why can't there be a third? And I think there is, and it's really exploration of our age, which has its transition, Antarctica, and then looks at the deep oceans and space and is bonded with a kind of modernist culture. So I use Voyager to look back through this nearly 600 years or so and constantly recalibrate itself. How do we understand it? I mean, in many ways, it's part of this continuous tradition. In some ways, it's really radically different. And that's what the book is about, is about the context. And I think, unfortunately, the, the title is, if you've written books, you know that authors don't always control their titles. In fact, they usually don't. 
And in some ways, I think people have thought that it's just Voyager, it's just the strict narrative. It is not. It is this sort of contextual narrative where the Voyager story provides a spine, gives it a narrative arc. But within that, we're constantly doing what Voyager did on its trajectory, which is look back and forth. Do you think this is sort of uh, maybe a uniquely American view in the sense that there's always been this tradition of sort of pushing the boundaries first from coast to coast and then now on into space? Well, that's a great observation. And William Getzman, actually the guy who uh, coined the, the concept of a second age of discovery, talks about the United States as exploration's nation because the explorer has long been bonded to the culture, even in popular ways, as a kind of Moses figure, to kind of guide or leader into a new world or promised land. And that's very deeply embedded in our, our, our own sort of national story. But we're not alone. I mean, that's also true. There are lots of other settler societies, uh, Canada, Australia, in some ways Russia. There are lots of parts of the world that have similar kinds of attachments or valences, if you will, to their explorers. And the whole of Western civilization, in a way, it took an older sense of travel and pilgrimage and wandering and organized it in the 15th century into something that we almost institutionalized it into something that we can recognize as exploration or the voyage of discovery. And this was very largely how that culture went about understanding its place in a wider world. And after a long period of time, actually, it took quite a while, science and exploration were on parallel tracks, and they really come together in the 18th century, so much so that now we can't imagine them being apart. But in some ways, they, they are still, they are splitting apart again. Do you think Voyager itself, as, as part of a mission, came in a very unique time in, in history that really couldn't have happened either before or after when it did? I think so. And, and many of the people who were involved with that, there's a, there's a nice book, Voyager Tales, that, that just interviews and oral histories of people involved. And, and that sense was, often comes through that it was just, it was the last big shot for a kind of golden age of planetary exploration. And then the country committed everything basically to the space shuttle. And that left Voyager as basically the only story for almost 12 years. It made its way across the entire solar system. But I also think that if, if we look at this idea of ages of discovery, there tends to be 40 or 50 years into the age a kind of uh, spectacular gesture, something that, that seems to capture the sentiments that works its way out in the prevailing technology that goes to places that are relevant, that seems to tap into a kind of yearning and ambition, and seems to express more than anything else. It's sort of the dominant. It, it really becomes the dominant, or what I would call grand gesture of the age. And I think Voyager may very well be that for the third age. I've, I've come to that conclusion, but we're still, we're not very deeply into third age. It, really is announced in my in my perception of this with the international geophysical year 1957-58 really brings all the parts together for the first time and sort of puts it before the public so we're not that far along yet but i think voyager has that quality there there really is a uh, sounds a, a bit fuzzy but it does have it's almost taken on a kind of vision quest 
quality. I mean, it's still going. 33 years later, they're still sending back information. They're still out there, right at the borders of the solar system, depending how you wish to define it, somewhere in the heliosheath, and uh, still sending back information. And it's sort of gone beyond the usual mission. It's almost a kind of pure exploring now. It's interesting. I sort of came of the age when uh, Voyager was just making its way past the outer planets, and maybe that kind of imagery has not really percolated through society of late, and there's a generation that hasn't experienced sort of that drive or that vision of like this grand age of discovery. Actually, that's been one of the surprises in seeing how people have responded to Voyager. I also grew up with that. It, I'd gone to graduate school. I thought I, I left as a kind of historian of science and was interested in exploration and so forth. And Voyager launched a year after I got my degree. So I've, I've sort of grown up intellectually with that. And it doesn't seem to me ancient, but many of the uh, reviewers have pointed out how old it is. You know, a large fraction of the population was born, has been born since Voyager left. So there is a sense of its longevity and that that sense of shock, that delight. I mean, Voyager was the only planetary mission in place for almost a dozen years until the space shuttle finally got together and was able, uh, we were able to to launch again. And so for that time, those images really had special clout. And the Hubble Space Telescope wasn't producing its images yet uh, at the same kind. And in a sense, Voyager quality image is still the gold standard. And we can take that not only in a technical sense, but I think in a kind of cultural clout, that these really were phenomenal images of other worlds. And really some of the only ones we have of the outer planets. And that's right, and that's why I think it was so extraordinary to have made the traverse. The the planetary alignment that makes this possible only comes about every 175 or 176 years. And this was discovered really in the mid-60s. And then the Voyager mission, some sense that there could be a, a quote, grand tour through the outer planets. It took lots of different forms, but it took a long time to crystallize. And even so, when the mission was approved, it was really to send two spacecraft to uh, Jupiter and Saturn with the possibility embedded that they might go on, one might go on if, if the rest of the mission was completed uh, to Uranus. And then really, really in the background, on the far back burners was the possibility of going on to Neptune. It might be physically possible, but you know, at that time, these launched in 77, I mean, we didn't have spacecraft that could survive that long. They've survived, they were designed for a maximum of five years. They're still at, they're at 33 and going. Uh, it's taken a huge amount of mechanical nursing and coaxing to, to make that happen. But, you know, it just, it was really at the edge of technology uh, of the time. But there was almost providential alignment of planets, and they're just, the architects of it just wouldn't let that go. It's not going to happen again, not only in our lifetime, but in our grandchildren's lifetime and their kids' lifetime. This really is possible. We, we can't let it go by. So even though it was hammered and really struggled and didn't even get its name until a few months before it launched, there was a sense that it had to be. And it really had a kind of almost heroic quality. It's, you don't want to anthropomorphize. These are robots. You don't want to anthropomorphize them. But 
they're an artifact of their creator, and they have the properties of those who built and designed and made it possible. So there's a sense in which they do express their sustaining society. And I think there's a sense in which they can be animated without being anthropomorphized. And they really have had a kind of heroic quality or in less exalted language, perhaps plucky or even indomitable, the little spacecraft that could. They've just managed to keep going. What do you think it says that humanity's greatest explorers are in fact just our creations, these robots out in space? Well, I mean, I think that's that's the reality. You know, you're going to places where people don't live, where people can't live, and the old apparatus that supported societies, particularly the reliance on a transfer from indigenous culture, indigenous knowledge, always using guides, dependent on translations and understanding how local people survived, what adapting their technology. None of that has any meaning. Uh, you know, once you get to Antarctica, you leave the coast, at least you can breathe the atmosphere, but there's not much else. You have to bring it with you. You go to the deep oceans, you go to space. I mean, we're not, we're not going to be colonizing these things anytime soon. And if you do, it, what, it look, what that might look like is so different than what has been in the past that you have to accept a different way to make those discoveries. And I think part of that, you may just say, well, it's science. Uh, we send instruments. What's, what's odd about that? But I think there's the sense, the voyage of discovery. There's something about the narrative, the travel, that's a part of what makes it exploration. It's not just science. There's a trek involved. There really is a journey, a series of tests. And in the classic sense, these are a test of character. Well, you don't have character on a robot, but the people making it work do. And I think we have to make that kind of adjustment if you want to think about exploration in these contexts. And I, I think Voyager is a great example of that. And, the, you know, the... The robots running around on Mars have been uh, terrific successes, and people are very happy to sort of project themselves on that. Because part of it is that not only can't you live, and it's hugely expensive and dangerous to send people to these places, but you always needed people in the past because you didn't have a technological option and because you were always having to encounter other people. Well, we're not. So... Why not have robots? It makes a whole lot more sense. And the robots are evolving much faster than we are. <laughs> I think that is what exploration means in this context. And if you can't make that transition, then we have a really difficult time understanding exploration other than as a kind of free-floating metaphor. That is part of the great story of it, all the men and women who've dedicated a lot of portion of their lives to these missions. And some of these people, I mean, their whole career. <laughs> I mean, there are a few people who said, you know, they measured all the the events of their lives. They started out young, you know, 30 years later. I mean, that they're ready to retire. They're, they've they've had children. They've raised families. Uh, they've divorced. They've they've gotten ill. They've recovered. They've died. I mean, the whole life cycles have come and gone while this machine is still making its way through the solar system. So there is, I mean, there's plenty of human drama. Maybe not in the simple way that you have or or send on ticker tape parades as nasa would like but these are terrific explorers and this is this makes sense and part of what i do in the book is try to argue the cultural side how in a context of modernism this makes sense this makes more sense than trying to recycle say an alexander von humboldt 
put him on Mars, or imagine Magellan going to one of the moons of Saturn. doesn't make sense. Do you think the greater contribution of the Voyager missions, besides, of course, all the scientific data we get, is what it tells us really about our place in the universe? I think that people have responded to it in those terms. And, uh, you know, part of one of the things people do know or remember about Voyager are, of course, the, the gold-plated records that were sent, that were filled with um, sights and sounds, greetings in most of the Earth's languages and so forth. It was a whole sort of a story of man put on a phonograph record and to tell anyone who found it who we were, you know, where we came from, assuming they could decipher it. Uh, this was high technology of the day, which was a phonograph record with a stylus to run it. If you gave that to most teenagers or younger today, they probably wouldn't know what to do with it. They wouldn't know what it was. We've gone through many iterations of technological change since then. But even those who, who put it on recognize that whether the odds of it being found are infinitesimal, but lots of people, millions, hundreds of millions of people on Earth would respond to it. They would read it. So it was really a statement about ourselves, how we would like to project ourselves, how we think of ourselves, what our values are. And in that way, Voyager does take on the quality of, of its creators in the same way that a painting or a great piece of uh, sculpture or architecture tells us about uh, the artist. Now, one of the odd things, if we if we think about Voyager, though, in these terms, is that in the classic quest, the hero has to return. Has to you go beyond the veil, you go into new worlds, you acquire exotic knowledge, and then you return. And the Voyagers won't. In a sense, they had to carry Earth with them. And, and still are. They still will continue until... Uh, the Probably outlive the Earth. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a, sort of a time capsule uh, in a place beyond time. Well, it really is a very fascinating story. And uh, I'm just curious, we are running slightly out of time. I'm just curious if you have some sure. final words regarding the whole story of Voyager. Well, I think it was an amazing, amazing event. It really is a distillation of, of 600 years of exploration history very much an expression as well of the America of the time, uh, which was rather, uh, the country was in a, you know, a deep funk and the economy was wretched and the rest, but nonetheless we were able to think boldly but truly and make this happen. We built it, it worked, it's been a success, it prevailed, it's still functioning. I mean, there's, I think there are many layers, it's, it's a terrific vehicle. And it's certainly a terrific story and a terrific new book. The new book is called Voyager, Seeking Newer Worlds in the Third Great Age of Discovery. Uh, Professor Pine, I want to thank you very much for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. And you were just listening to Steve Pine discussing Voyager. This is the Grok's Science Show. Coming up in just a few minutes is the Grokatron 5000, so stay tuned.
right, it's time to play the game, the Grokatron 5000. It is our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic, Grand Explorer or Left Behind. So for, <laughs> for the falling five individuals, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you think they are a Grand Explorer or were simply left behind and uh, maybe a little reason why. Professor Pine, you ready to play the game? Sure. Okay. Here we go. Grand Explorer or Left Behind is the talk show host, Jerry Springer. Left behind. I think the less said, the <laughs> probably the more ennobled the character. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, how about number two? Uh, Grand Explorer left behind. Uh, it's the Apple CEO, Steve Jobs. Wow. We're really talking uh, explorers of, of another kind. Um, if we're going to you know, just sort of really generalize cultural explorers, he would have to, he would have to be among the, the, the culture figures of the day. I tend to be a lot more res- restrictive in my sense of explorer, but we'll see what Deep Blue has to say. All right, well, well, Deep Blue is coming up with number three here, and it is uh, Jacques Cousteau. Oh, I, sure, Cousteau. And, uh, yeah, that's the other thing uh, on the third age of discovery is how much of it is in the oceans, and we've forgotten that. And that's where all the great life forms are coming out of and whole new ecosystems and lots of action. action. Well, if you're actually putting explorers in, then I'm taking jobs off the list. <laughs> okay. Too bad you for deserve him. to stay on the planet when the rest <laughs> leave. All right. Well, number four, Grand Explorer left behind is the pop starlet Lady Gaga. Let's hope she's left behind. <laughs> All right. Okay. Finally, number five, uh, Grand Explorer left behind is the President of the United States, Barack Obama. Oh gosh. Well, you know, he'd probably he'd probably ready to put him on on the the spacecraft, but he might be sitting there thinking so deeply. He got left behind accidentally. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Professor Plan, I want to thank you very much for sticking around playing our game. Sure. All right. And again, talking about your book, which is again called Voyagers Seeking Newer Worlds in the Third Great Age of Discovery. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.